You are now listening to the Nick's State of Mind podcast, presented by Elite Sports Radio. And now, your hosts, Chip Murphy and Matt Castillo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Nick's State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo with Chip Murphy. I'm going to jump right into what we have on the agenda today, and we're going to start with the image that Christoph Przingis posted on his Instagram page of him and Dirk Nowinski working out together. Now, last week there was this uh, expedition game in Africa, something that the the NBA has started to done the last several years is that they're, they're playing these kind of international uh, games or, or playing events in different countries to bring awareness of the game and make it more global. So this year the game was played in Africa. Um, so it was Team World versus Team Africa, and Dirk Nowinski and Christoph Rzingis both played together in this expedition game. Just to throw it out there, so did Courtney Lee. Um, so that was good to see that those two working more chemistry together, playing together in that, that event. But it was kind of hinted to last year uh, there was – I think it was Dirk, right, Chip, that said that uh, – or was it Przingis that said that at some point he wanted to connect with Dirk Nowinski and, and get pointers from him? Was it who, – who was the one that said that? I can't quite remember. Uh, Porzingis said it initially because he called Dirk like his idol and uh, he looked out to him when he was growing up. And then Dirk said he would love to do that. Like he praised Porzingis and said that it looked like Porzingis was going to have a great career. So, and, but then after last summer, it was assumed they'd work out, but then they never got their schedule mm-hmm. together. And, and basically, once that was said, I'm pretty sure it's safe that every, to say that every Nick fan just could not wait until that happened to have a mentor like Dirk Nowinski, a, a proven MVP, a finals MVP superstar, help develop Christoph Rzingis. It's something that. Everybody wanted to see done and happen, and it finally happened through this event that these two were able to work out, and, and now Christoph Przingis was getting pointers from Dirk Nowinski. So, Chip, I want to get your opinion on it, and I, I know we've talked about this before, that we could not wait for this to happen, but just talk about what benefit that Christoph Przingis is getting from working out with a player like Dirk. Well, he's getting the benefit of a, a future Hall of Famer. Like he's, first of all, maybe the greatest benefit is that Christoph Porzingis says, I hate to use this term, but it's correct. He's, he's been a loser for his first two years in the NBA. Uh, he has been in a losing locker room. And uh, Dirk Nowitzki, he's going to be able to pick the brain of a guy who's a champion, a guy who's been an overwhelming winner, who's played with for a great coach, and that's something that he needs to talk to, someone he needs to talk to, because as we said, as Porzingis made it clear, he was upset with the culture in New York. And there's no better culture in the NBA than in Dallas, where Carlisle built a great thing there. So it's more than just the on-the-court stuff that he can learn from Dirk. But as far as 
on the court play, you know, what Knicks fans have talked about since Porzingis has gotten to the league. He's got to learn about the post-up mm-hmm. game. And there's no one better than Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, you know, when they played the Mavericks uh, this past year, uh, Porzingis did the, uh, the patented Dirk fadeaway mm-hmm. one-legged move and then pointed to him. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of an homage. So, yeah, there's no one better to learn from if you're a seven-footer, if you want to work on your post-game than Dirk. So I'm sure that's what Porzingis is doing. And you said it right, that, that it's the post-game that Porzingis needs to work on in order to become a superstar. Because if you look at it, and Chip, me and you kind of talked a little bit this about off the show, I think, last week. Um, Christoph Porzingis, when, when his jump shot is on, he's a guy that can easily score 25 points a game. When, he, when he's knocking down the three-point shot, yeah. he, he's going to put up points in a hurry. The problem was with with that is when you're just strictly strictly a, a jump shooter or, or a threat from outside the perimeter, you're going to have stretches where your jump shot is not working. You need to find other ways to score. And he's seven foot three. You know he he has the size advantage to get a shot over anybody. And you know we see when Porzingis is not shooting the ball well. It's kind of like he struggles just to get the 13 points. Mediocre kind of games is the cause of him not being able to shoot the ball effectively. So really, with his ability to shoot the basketball, if he develops a game with his back to the basket, I don't know how you can stop him. And like you said, Dirk Nowinski is one of the best in the league in post-scoring. One, I mean, that fadeaway, one-foot fadeaway shot, I don't think I've ever seen that shot blocked in, you know, what his, I don't don't know, he's been around for years, uh, and I I have never seen anybody come close to blocking that shot. I doubt it ever has. It's just, it's it's impossible to shoot. It's a shot that if you master, my goodness, you're going to get any shot off you want. So, here's the thing, Porzingis is trying to fill out, he's trying to come stronger, and he, he's, he is, he's getting bigger, he's getting stronger, but he's still not where you want a seven foot three guy to be. So, is he going to be like a Shaquille O'Neal, where he's just bigger than everybody in a seven foot one, outweighing everybody by like 120 pounds and just bulldozing his way to the basket? No, Perzingis is never going to be able to do that. So I think for him to be an effective post-scorer, it's more of this kind of finesse game that Dirk Nowinski has mastered. That's how Kristaps Porzingis is going to be able to reach the next step in his career. And for me personally, when I saw this, this was immediately just brought excitement to me because this is what Porzingis needs. I mean, I'm t- if he develops a game with his back to the basket, I don't, I don't, how do you stop him? I mean, he's, again, seven foot three. And we've seen that Brzingis has the athletic ability yeah. to, to do what <laughs> Dirk does. You know, I mean, a good ball handler for seven foot three. The next step for him is to develop a game, you know, four, five, six, seven feet away from the basket. Because if you develop that, then I, there, there's no stopping Christoph Porzingis. I look at somebody like Kevin Durant, a guy that's seven feet tall. To me, Porzingis has, 
I'm not there yet. But I think he can have a very similar game. Not quite. I, I think so. I think he can have a very similar game to Kevin Durant. Um, you know, and I don't think, like I said, I don't think he's Those there are yet. Off the expectations, man. It is. It is. And what I mean by that is, I'm not claiming here. I'm not saying that Kristaps Porzingis is going to be like, you know, look, Kevin Durant is the second best player in the NBA. That's not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. He can have a game very similar to Kevin Durant's game. Look, Kevin Durant can score from outside the paint, and he can score inside the paint. I think Kevin Durant has mastered being able to score in the post and out of the post, being seven feet tall. That, that's where I'm talking, that if Porzingis can develop this part of the game, why not be able to put up 25 to 30 points a game? Because you can't stop him. He's seven foot three. If he can just, I'm telling you, he's going to be a monster if he can get this. So this is the best thing for him. And Chip, I really do think that I'm not going to, like again, I'm not going to say Brazil has become like the second best player in the NBA. But I'm saying a game like Kevin Durant, a guy that's seven feet tall as well, that can do a lot of the things that Brazil can do, I, that, that, that's the kind of player I think um, Brazil can be. But you disagree with that. That's lofty. But uh, Kevin Durant didn't start out as the dominant post player that he is now, the unguardable post player that he was, as we saw in the NBA Finals. Now, he was arguably the most efficient post player in the NBA this year. So, I'm not saying Christos Porzingis can get to that, but he needs to work on getting to that because just being a three-point shooter isn't working for him. Uh, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned how he struggled to uh, get to 13 points, it seemed like, uh, sometimes this year. An interesting stat on that, he uh, he scored less than 10 points this year seven times. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he was, I know, when he scored less than 10 points a game, when he scored less than 10 points, he was 4 of 25 on threes. So that says a lot about his game, I think. Like Like we said, like we said last week and like we said this week, if his three-point shot's not falling, can't even put up double digits. So, yeah, he needs to work on his post game. And I don't know if he can become Kevin Durant, but I think he has a chance to make a superstar's impact. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a top-ten player impact, but a franchise player impact. Uh, the jury's out on whether or not he can be the best player on a championship team. I'm not sure if he's that good, though. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you this, though, if this is a fair – if Durant might be too lofty. Do you see – because yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that Dirk Nowinski is the best European basketball player to ever play the game. There's been plenty of good ones. But I think Dirk Nowinski is on top of the list. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that. But do you see Przingis one day reaching the status of Dirk Nowinski? Around a lot of a lot of tough questions there. Yeah. First Durant, now Dirk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, Dirk. Like we said earlier, Dirk's a Hall of Famer. It's a tough one. As of now, after his first two seasons, I would say no. Okay. Uh like I said, like I said before on this podcast, I don't think I think Knicks fans have overrated him a little bit, and I am as I think some people are overreact a little bit 
about the whole health thing. Like I've said on the show, Patrick Ewing missed more games in his first two seasons combined than Chris Dobson did in his first two seasons. So I'm really not worried about the health. Okay. But I think right now, uh, I don't see him being better than Dirk. At the same time, he had a better first two years than Dirk did. And the game is perfect for him if he wants to develop and if the Knicks... But you know what? The Mavericks set up a perfect organization for Dirk to succeed in. That's true. That organiz- I mean, Cuban built an amazing thing. Cuban built an amazing thing for Dirk there. I mean, it was all set up around him. Carlisle set up a great thing around him. Are the Knicks going to be able to do something like that for Chris Stops? History would say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll see. A lot of if Chris Stapps leaves the Knicks, then maybe, I hate to say it, but if he leaves the Knicks, he'll probably have a better chance at becoming somewhere close to Dirk. Yeah, let's be honest. The reason why I ask it is because I think, you know, like I, I'm not claiming these things are going to happen right now, overnight. I'm talking years down mm-hmm. the line with them. And the reason why I, I think that he can be right up there with these guys is because, man, how many seven foot three guys that you see that have his athletic ability? I mean, usually guys at his size are so clumsy and that they get such a serious look, even in the NBA, just because they're seven feet tall. You know, I think of somebody like Timofey Mozgov, not as tall as Przingis, I don't think, but he's pretty dang tall. That guy's goofy as all get out. I mean, he's not the worst player in the world, but he's <laughs> he's goofy as all get out. He don't have the athletic ability that Christoph Rzingis has. He doesn't have the the footwork. The I mean, seven foot three. This guy, he's a ball handler. So I look at what he is right now. I think he has. I'm not not more. I'm not saying more athletic than Kevin Durant. I don't know, but I think. He certainly has more athletic ability than Dirk Nowinski, even in Dirk's prime. That's not. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Dirk Nowinski at all. I can't stress that enough because Chip, you said it. He's a Hall of Famer, and no, I have. Not saying he's a better player. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. I'm not saying the better player, but I'm saying athletic wise, I think Porzingis has more than Dirk Nowinski. It's just I think this part of his game. Is holding him back. And this is something that's, and I know we're kind of foreshadowing because a lot of the show today is focusing on Christoph Porzingis. Um, but mm-hmm. I just think that over time, it's going to take a few years for him to really develop a, a post game. But when that, if that develops, if he cannot develop a post game, then you know what? He's going to be a very good player, but I don't think he's ever going to be in the, even in the same conversation with the guys that I just mentioned. It, it, I think it all kind of depends on his ability to score in the post. If he does that, I mean, this guy, he's a freak. I mean, Kevin Durant's the one that called him a unicorn. It's because this guy can do things that you wouldn't expect a seven foot three guy to do. So that is why I think very highly of Przingis that can be mentioned with some of the best names in the NBA. It's just this is a big problem, and it has been so far for his career. And look, he's entering year three. If he, and I'm just going to say it again, if he can develop this part of his game, 
then look out because you're not going to stop Christoph Przingis because, again, he can shoot the three-point shot. He can ball handle. When he's four or five feet from the basket and you can't stop him, what do you do? What are you going to do, force him to take a three? If you leave him open, he's going to hit it. You know, if you sag off of him, he's going to hit the shot. You play up on him, then he's going to be able to go by you because he can handle the ball. So when he gets the ball in the block, if he can just develop a quick little spin, he has the, the length advantage to get the shot off. I mean, to me, I don't see how this, for somebody that's that tall and that big, how hard it is to score in the post. I, I ex- would expect him to develop this fairly quickly. Um, I know, you know, look, he, he does go up against guys that are uh, filled out more, stronger. When you're banging bodies with them, it's exhausting. I was just going to yeah. say that. Yeah, he goes it, up against stronger guys. Yeah. yeah, that's really what's killing him. I think he has the ability to score in the post. I think exactly what, I'm, what you kind of helped me get to is that it's more of the size. Like, he's not filled out yet. That's another part of the issue. So it's going to be really interesting to see if he can develop that part of the game because I have high expectations for Brzingis, especially if he can do that. But we're going to wrap up this segment. And when we come back, we kind of talked about it last week, and we're going to talk about it in the next segment about what year three is going to tell us about Christoph Brzingis. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, everybody. Mac is still the co-host of the Knicks State of Mind podcast and contributor to Elite Sports New York. You can follow me at Twitter at MattyDiesel15 to get my latest articles, videos, and podcasts. Make sure to follow Elite Sports New York's Twitter as well at Elite Sports NY and the rest of Elite Sports New York's social media pages to stay up to date to all the New York sport news. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Knicks State of Mind podcast. So, we kind of hinted what we're going to talk about in the first part of this segment. We're going to kind of continue what kind of where we were going at the end of our, our first segment was the expectations for Christoph Przingis in his third year. And Chip, I'm going to jump right into it with you. What do, what would you expect for Przingis this year? Do you think that this is like a, a make or break year or at least a year that you want to see Przingis take a big step? I do expect him to take a big step, and I definitely want him to, and I expect him to. Uh, I think he, whether or not Carmelo is on mm-hmm. the team, and I, the chances are very slim, but whether or not Carmelo is on the team, I think he'll score 20 points a game. The rookie year scored 14. Uh, this year that jumped up to 18, and I think this year he will score 20, especially if Carmelo's not. I think he'll come... Uh, closer to well over 20, but he's going to be the number one option without Carmelo. You know, his rookie year, he was 42% from the field. Uh, This year, 45. His rookie year, he really tailed off from a three-point percentage, if you remember. Mm -hmm. His three-point shot really tailed off at the end. Yep. Uh, And he was just 33%. This year, he was uh, 36%, and he took a lot more threes. We're just talking about all the threes he takes, but... um, so he, you know, and without Carmelo, he's going to be able to take a lot more shots, which will lead to a lot more points. He'll be the number one option. So, um, I mean, assuming that they don't get Kyrie, which yeah. I don't think they will. Yeah. But this is all a lot of what if. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, but Carmelo not being on the team, I think it's a, it's a pretty uh, solid bet. 
I, I don't think Carmelo will be there. And without Carmelo there, I expect Kristaps to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. I expect him to have his best season so far. I expect him to uh, improve even more as a three-point shooter. And I expect his postgame to be better. Uh, I expect his defense to be better. I expect him to be a smarter defender, as it was well-documented last year, his foul trouble. I mean, he, I'm looking at his stat line mm. right now. He averaged 3.7 personal fouls per game. That led the NBA, I believe. Yep. So I expect him to be – he just needs to be as as smart, a, uh, a rim, as good a rim protector as he is. He averaged two blocks. But he needs to be a smarter defender. Yep. And that's – it's very underrated how uh, – Knicks fans don't talk about – how much smarter a defender he needs to become. That's very important. He needs to stay on the floor. He does. And for me, I think, I wouldn't say it's a make or break year for him, but it's definitely a very important year for him. And, you know, again, kind of like what you said, there's a lot of what what ifs. If Carmelo Anthony is still on the team, I think the Knicks know that Carmelo Anthony's May not be around much longer if he begins the year with the Knicks. Um, I, I still think the focal point has to be Przingis. Even if Melo's on the floor, even if he's on the floor, I think they have to start going through Przingis, letting him be the guy. Now, last year even there were times that it was clear that he wasn't ready for it. Uh, without Carmelo Anthony on the floor with him, he, he was pretty bad. Um, so mm-hmm. I think they have to keep, though, going in that direction of making him the the focus point. And I, I do think that this year, like you said, will be his best year. And, I mean, look, he's improved every year since he's entered the league. I expect his numbers to go up more this year. But I want him to start to show that, hey, I am the guy. At the end of last year, and we talked about this on the show, it was clear that and I'm going to agree with Phil Jackson here that Przingis wasn't or isn't quite ready to take that role yet. I want to see him, even if he's not completely the man yet, I want to see him at least heading in that direction this season. I want him to be able to hit bigger shots. You know, there were plenty of game-winning shots last year uh, made by Carmelo Anthony. I want to see Brzingis hit those shots. I want to see plays called for him at the end of the game and see how he handles those situations. Is he going to settle for, you know, you just shared his three-point percentage. A lot of that is because he settled for threes. Or is he going to be able to create his own shot, a good shot, and give us a a chance to win? I, I don't think enough of that has been kind of on his shoulders yet, and it shouldn't have been. I mean, just being the first two years in the league guy. But year three, start transitioning to making him the focal point because Carmelo Anthony doesn't have that much time left. Przingis is your future centerpiece, so start putting that on him now. Also, I you made a very good point about his foul troubles, and – Man, he did. He yeah. a lot of stupid fouls. A lot of trying to go after rebounds that he's he has no business trying to get because he's out of position. And we see him reaching and getting a foul there. I also think 
part of the foul trouble is that none of the point guards can cover anybody. With Derrick Rose gone now, hopefully that's a little bit better. But when you constantly have some guard or, or, or players breaking down the defense, getting to the rim, it's very hard not to be in foul trouble. Um, but I think you make a great point that you people have to be aware that he does a lot of silly things. He makes a lot of fouls that, that you would do in your rookie year. You're no longer a rookie. You can't make the, those silly fouls. So I, I agree with you again there. And, you know, look, I, I think we also see Przingis being a little bit more vocal about his, his frustrations with the organization, taking a little bit more of a, a leadership role, uh, I guess, you know, by sharing his his feelings uh, towards the next front office. I want to see him also become more of a leader on the floor. I want him to be more vocal on the floor. This is something that I criticize Carmelo Anthony. He's not very – to me, I don't think he's very vocal on the floor. I don't see him yelling at his players, trying to fire up his players, you know, when, when things aren't going well. I, I talk about how you see somebody like LeBron James. When the defense breaks down, LeBron James is like a drill sergeant screaming at his, his, his teammates to do better. I'm not necessarily saying that's what – you have to do, but it's superstar holding players accountable and even yourself. So I want to see Porzingis take on more of a leadership role on the floor. And again, basically to sum up what I'm saying is he needs to start becoming the focal point for the New York Knicks, even if Carmelo Anthony is there. And I know you threw in the possibility of Kyrie Irving, because if Kyrie Irving is there, then... Yeah, it's going to be Kyrie's team. Um, so Przingis is still going to be kind of the shadow. But even if Kyrie's there, I still want to see him take more responsibility, look to take those big shots. Don't just be passive towards somebody like Camelo Anthony or if Kyrie's there. Be the man. That's what a lot of people believe that you can be. So I want to see him prove it. I think year three – it's, again, it's not a make-or-break year. If it's a solid year or you know, kind of like last year, you're still satisfied. You're still happy with it. But it's an important year. I think by year three in the league, you want to see if they're going to take that step. So I want to see Brzingis take a bigger step, and uh, it's something that I'm going to be watching for closely, and I believe a lot of Knicks fans are going to be looking for that as well. And with that being said, we are going to kind of change gears from uh, Christoph Rzingis. And Chip, you had some breaking news that just went down a few hours ago that you wanted to share. Yeah, just came through. The Knicks just announced, uh, after it was reported earlier today, the Knicks just announced on uh, their official uh, Twitter website, on their official Twitter site, uh, that Michael Beasley... Uh, has signed with the team. Uh, the former number two overall pick from the 2008 draft, mm. uh, controversial player. Uh, he, uh, you know, he played for, just the Knicks are going to be the sixth team uh, before he's 30 years old. Mm. <laughs> he's uh, 28 years old right now. His birthday was in January. Uh, he played for two different teams in China. Um, so it, it, that says a lot about him. You know, a guy who's that talented, he's bounced around that much. Uh, he's, uh, he averages, uh, 12.6 points per game for his career. 
The guy can score. Last year against the Spurs, when he was in Milwaukee, he scored 30 or 28 points against the Spurs. So the guy, he had three 20-point games with Milwaukee last year. So the guy can score. Uh, I think uh, I think it was uh, our Elite Sports NY's Zach Cronin who posted the, the stat about uh, Beasley's numbers when he played 30-plus uh, minutes last year. But I don't have that in front of me, unfortunately. But apparently when he got minutes last year, he played 30-plus mm-hmm. minutes four times last year. And every time, I think he scored uh, 20 points or more. Okay. So when he got minutes last year, he did still score. That's not going to be a problem. It's just he's not much of a defender. <laughs> but I don't think he's going to play very much. I think he'll probably be a 20-minute-per-game player. And he's only on a one-year contract. He got a one-year deal for the vet minimum. And, Matt, we uh, talked last week about Ramon Sessions at length. Uh, and I think it's a similar situation to that. Uh, in that he's a on a one-year deal, and he's going to be playing for his next contract. So he'll probably be balling out this year, hoping to get the biggest contract he can imagine. So the Knicks should expect uh, a lot of shots from Michael Beasley. He's going to be shooting every time he touches the ball. And what better player from than uh, Michael Beasley? for Frank D. Latina to learn what to not do mm-hmm. in the NBA mm-hmm. <laughs> as a rookie. Yep. Because he did everything wrong that you can possibly do. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this guy was one of those players that, that you watched back in college, and he, he went to, to uh, Kansas State. And yeah. my goodness, this guy was so dominant. And, and when he went into the league, you expected this guy to become a very – solid NBA player and in a way I mean his numbers aren't bad that's just I think that just shows how much talent he actually has but like you kind of just hinted to his his off the court issues it it really has kind of derailed his career he should be so much better than what the numbers on the back of his his card say um you know I, I look at how dominant he was in college. I mean, he had uh, Frank Martin was his coach, who is now the coach at uh, South Carolina, who just took that team to the final yeah. four. That man scares me. Um, he's like a drill sergeant. I think he had – oh, man, he, he is one intense dude. And he had Beasley, I think, pretty – you know, I'm not going to say Beasley never got into trouble in college because I don't know. I'm not going to say all that because I don't know. But I think because that discipline was there, uh, or, or you know, Martin, like we just said, is an intimidating figure. I think that's why he had so much success in college. When he got to the NBA, it was you know, a lot of immature issues, uh, a lot of stupidity, and that's bounced him around the league throughout his career. I mean, gave him a couple of stints or, or for a couple of teams in China, even found himself outside the league, but. Teams always seem interested in bringing him in because, I mean, he's not 30 years old yet, as you just pointed out. He's only 29. He's still got some years of basketball left in him. And I think teams think the same way that I'm thinking is that this guy should be so much better than what he has performed in his career. I'm not saying the Knicks signed him and they're going to expect him to uh, be that guy finally that a lot of people thought that he would be. 
But I think the the hope of when you bring in a guy like Michael Beasley is that he will come at least at this point a um, whole lot closer to that guy that you thought he would be. So this to me is a very interesting signing. I, I, you share that stat when he played about thirty plus minutes, he could still score the ball. I I, I just think perhaps even if they were able to work out a trade with uh, for Camelo Anthony. That's something that would benefit Beasley playing for the Knicks because then his minutes will obviously skyrocket, and I, I think he would be a very effective scorer. And another thing, another thing too, he's a good small ball four if you want to play. When uh, if they trade Melo, he's a good small ball four if they want to play four. So mm-hmm. he's at the five. Beasley can play the small ball four. Mm-hmm. In a way, I would kind of like the signing. I. I, I Again, thinking back to when he was drafted in 2008, I thought he was going to be so much better than what he is. I still think that he has a lot to offer a team. I think this guy, as you mentioned, not not very good defensively, but adds a little bit more offensive firepower. Somebody right now with Camelo Anthony still being in town, he can come off the bench and help out the bench scoring. That's something that that's obviously very important. Um, and we had other guys like him, like Derek Williams, a few years ago, um, that we expected to take kind of a role and, and help out the bench at scoring. And at times it happened, it, it worked. I think this guy can certainly be a great piece for the, the Knicks bench. Um, again, immaturity issues. Um, we got to hope that he stays out of trouble. And does what he needs to do. Because if he does, he can be a very nice piece for the New York Knicks. I, I, I like the signing. Chip, Would you? do you like the signing? I know you talked a little bit about him, what he can do. But do you, do you like what they did by bringing in Beasley? I like the signing a lot. I think he... Look, at this point, when you have no chance of being good anyway, mm-hmm. I think there's... I think... There's no harm in signing a guy like me, taking a flyer on a guy like me. This is the same reason I thought they should have signed Ty Lawson, although I do like the Vermont session signing too. But, it's yeah, it's the same reason I thought you should have signed Ty Lawson. You take a chance on a guy on a one-year deal. I don't think there's any downside to signing mm-hmm. a guy who has, like he pointed out, as much talent as Michael Beasley does on a one-year deal. If it doesn't work out and he's a nightmare – off the court, like you mentioned, all his off the court problems, you just let him walk at the end. And if he really is that bad, you just wave him anyway. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. But like, like we were talking about, he he can score. So when you trade Carmelo Anthony, I'm not, obviously he's not going to put up Carmelo Anthony yeah. numbers, but somebody else is going to need to be able to put the ball in the basket, other than Porzingis. And I guess Tim Parker will score a little, but but. You need another scorer, and Beasley is capable of scoring 15 a night. You know, he, yeah. he can do that. Yep. He's done it before. Maybe he can do it again. Yep, the more more firepower that you can get, um, I think it's even a plus if, if Carmelo Anthony's still on the team. Like I said, it just deepens the bench a little bit more, perhaps makes the Knicks a little bit more competitive than it, it looks. I'm not, I'm not saying that we sign Michael Beasley, we are ready to take over the East. That's... Please, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it's a, it's a nice addition, and, and 
Um, you know, the Knicks have made some subtle moves here in, in free agency. The first one of signing Tim Hardaway Jr. for that kind of money was ludicrous. Um, not so much signing Tim Hardaway Jr. The deal they gave him was ludicrous. Um, but they have made some nice smaller moves with adding Sessions and Beasley. So, yeah, I, I don't think you complain too much from where the Knicks are at. They're they're bringing in some guys that can help, and um, that's all I can ask for right now from this point. I mean, it's clear the Knicks ain't going to win, ain't going to compete, but at least they're bringing some guys in that, that can play a little bit, so it's not going to be a total disaster if Beasley can stay out of trouble. Um, so, I, overall, I think it's a great signing, but we're going to wrap up this second segment, and when we come back, we're going to introduce something that the Knicks State of Mind podcast is going to be doing over the next several weeks, and so we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Chip Murphy, co-host of the Knicks State of Mind podcast and boss of all New York Knicks content at EliteSportsNY.com. To follow my work, you can find me on Twitter at, at Chipper Murphy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Knicks State of Mind podcast. And now we've been thinking of uh, uh, some kind of fun segments to do uh, because at, at this point in the NBA offseason, there, there's not much that's going on. After you have the draft, after you have your first few waves of free agency, it's kind of like a dead period from now until like training camp and then at least into preseason. I know Beasley News just broke today. Um, so we, we wanted to have some kind of fun off-season topics to kind of discuss. So me and Chip uh, discussed and came up with uh, the Knicks Ultimate Team. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to pick each position. Any player that's played for the Knicks, uh, whatever position that they played, and pick the best starting five that we can create with a six-man. And I'm going to see what the fans think, and they can send their opinion to us on our Twitter page. Um, so just a fun way to kind of make – the offseason talk a little bit fun but uh so basically each week we're going to pick one position at a time so this week we're going to start with the point guard so any nick player that has put uh played point guard for the knicks we're going to pick who we think would be in our lineup so with that being said chip who would you make your point guard for your ultimate team all right well some of these positions will be difficult to decide, mm-hmm. but this one, the point guard, is a no-brainer, mm-hmm. in my opinion. The starting point guard on the only two championship teams in Knicks franchise history, the legendary Hall of Famer, Walt Clyde Frazier, is the pick for me. Uh, yeah. The franchise leader in assists uh, by a wide margin, uh, seven-time All-Star, Six-time All-NBA, Rookie of the Year, seven times All-Defense, All-Star Game MVP. Uh, I don't think you need to say anything yeah. more, really. He's an all-time, not just the Knicks' greatest point guard, one of the all-time great point guards. Um, I think the only other player who can be mentioned, really, is Mark Jackson, mm-hmm. who's a uh, second in assists in uh, Knicks franchise history, but I don't think he comes close to Clyde Frazier. I think he would even admit that. So, yeah, for me, it's it's Walt Frazier. Yeah, I, you said it. I mean, some of these positions are kind of 
you can't really pick anybody else. Clyde Frazier is the best Nick point guard yeah. uh, in, in their organizational history. Um, you know, and one thing we're going to try to do is pick some guys outside the box, not the obvious guys. But in this case, this is the only guy that you could go with. Um, uh, you know, as a joke, I can say Jeremy Lin. He was he was phenomenal for three weeks when yeah. uh, Lin Sanity was around. <laughs> you know, I thought I thought championship days were coming when I was like 13, 14 years old. Uh, back when that was actually going down, it was the greatest greatest three weeks of my life that I got to experience. But you know, here. And a serious note, it's Walt Clyde Frazier. I mean, the guy is absolutely incredible. And one thing I want to point out with him that a lot of people forget and don't talk about, I hear a lot about Game 7 performances. And to me, I don't think Frazier's Game 7 performance in the 1970 NBA Finals gets talked about enough. I mean, his numbers in that game were just incredible against the Lakers. He scored 36 points, had 19 assists, and 8 rebounds. 36 points and 19 assists. Now, there was no three-pointer back in those days. So by just Walt Clyde Frazier alone in that game, it's over 70 points that were contributed by him. That is incredible. So many other Game 7 performances you hear about, you don't hear about this enough. This is something that, you know, when you look up what Clyde Frazier you, you see and you learn that way, you don't you don't really see it on TV talked about enough. And I think it's a shame. I think, you know, he, he was just an incredible point guard. I mean, he averaged nearly 19 points a game, six assists, uh, six rebounds. I mean, everything he, – he, he had his hands into everything. And Tip, you went through his his credentials and his his awards, so I'm not going to go through that. But one thing I wanted to point out was that game seven. I mean, Chip, would you agree? Would you think that that's something that kind of doesn't get talked about? That he scored 36 points and 19 assists. That's 70 something points, 72 points, 74 points. I, I'm not a mathematician here, but just from him contributing to the team, I mean, that's incredible. What what, what did you say? That's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah, for for whatever reason, I think Clyde's playing days go untalked about for some reason. I think he's a little underrated. Maybe it's because he's uh, in the public in the public eye. Some he's thought of to our generation so much as a broadcaster, mm-hmm. and he's famous as a broadcaster now. I think he's gone to be a little underrated as to how incredible he was as a player. You know, that doesn't really get talked about anymore. When they talk about, like, the elite point guards of all time, nobody really talks about Clyde. You know, now he's considered more of this uh, icon as a broadcaster instead of he's considered more of a broadcaster first, uh, basketball player second, wouldn't she say? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point that, you know, people see him on, on MSG with his posting and toasting and, and – uh, just all the all the cool sayings that he has, uh, dishing and swishing. Um, so yeah, I think a younger generation just thinks of him as a as a broadcaster. But that's why I'm kind of hoping that if we have some young uh, listeners here, to you know, again, I wasn't alive back then when when he was playing, but I hope it sh- shines a light on on actually how good he was. I mean, he was such a key part 
of the success the Knicks had in the 70s. I mean, as we mentioned, the, the only two championships the Knicks have are in 70 and 73. And, um, you know, I don't think if Clyde Frazier is there in 1970 with the 36 points, 19 assist performance, we don't have that championship. Um, I could, uh, I, going back, I mean, uh, Wilt Chamberlain was with the Lakers back then. Um, you know, that, that, that guy was just a scoring machine and it wasn't him that brought home the title. And I think a big part of that was due to Frazier's performance. So, you know, I think that's something that easily gets forgot. Uh, to me, I think should be talked about and right up there with some of the, the best game sevens that you can think about. Cause there's been plenty. I mean, whether if it's a performance by LeBron James, uh, he had a triple double a few years ago in game seven against uh, golden state uh, that just, you know, Michael Jordan always performed big, uh, Kobe Bryant, some of those guys obviously overshadow what Walt Clyde Frazier, but they shouldn't. This performance was absolutely incredible. Um, so this is a no brainer. He has to be the, the point guard for, I, I think any Nick fans that would have an opportunity to pick any point guard that's ever played for the Knicks would pick Frazier. Um, if they're smart, I, I get I, maybe a younger fan base probably goes a little bit more modern. Um, you know, I, some other names you could think of. I mean, I was kiddling with Lynn, um, but you know, Stefan Marbury, which let's be honest, his career kind of ended in disaster over here with the Knicks and became a big oh, star God. in China. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, Marbury was an, a phenomenal player. What a nightmare that was! Um, oh, it was it was oh, God. It was embarrassing. One of those one of those things that you know, as Nick fans, we kind of hide from. We don't really want to talk about how bad that whole situation was. Um, so, I think it's safe to say that majority of Nick fans would say Walt Clyde Frazier would be their starting point guard. But we're going to wrap it up this week. Now, next week we'll be back with this segment at the end of the show, and we're going to pick. A shooting guard now so again each week we're going to fill in uh the starting five and just the six man and you know this is a perfect opportunity for you guys to be heard what you guys think um and again our twitter is nyksom podcast so just be in touch with we want to hear what you guys think who you guys would pick for each of these positions let's start with the uh, point guard this week because that's what we're going to do so um we encourage you guys to send us who your point guard would be. And uh, we'll be back next week for another episode of the Next State of Mind podcast.